And the first part of Romans 8 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What we are seeing in the world is not to be compared to what God has prepared for us, what God is revealing to us. And then my spirit started to burn because I realized we need more than ever, we need more than ever now to spread the gospel. We need more than ever to reveal the things of Christ, the glorification of Christ. Because the things that we're seeing around us, the pain, the suffering that we're seeing around us is not even comparable to what God is preparing for, what the kingdom of heaven looks like. That I say this all the time because it really is, I think, the most important thing that we can come to understand. The first thing Jesus said when he came to his ministry is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. That this thing that says the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that has been revealed to us. The only people who understand the glory of the kingdom realm is us because God's revealed it to us. So now it's our duty, it's our job, it's, it's what's been put before us to go into the places and reveal what's been shown to us. Because Paul continues on chapter 8 verse 18 to 30. Anything good on the socials, James? I heard it, mate. I heard. Wasn't it? Oh. <laughs> I apologise. My deepest apologies. My deepest apologies. I thought I got you. I thought I caught you red-handed. Oh, there it is again, eh? Hey? Someone's on the socials. Chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. Paul, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God will obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. What we carry inside of us as the children of God is the freedom from bondage and corruption and that we are to reveal it to creation. That God in the Garden of Eden, he said to how, which I'm going to speak a lot about, that we are image bearers of him, that we carry the very image of God himself in this place. That wherever we walk, we are holding the very image of Yahweh God. That the Holy Spirit dwells in us and is to flow through us into the places that are around. That as we operate in the fullness of who he is, our job as Christians is not just to be good people, but to reveal the kingdom which brings freedom from bondage. Creation waits with eager longing for the reveal of the sons of God. Out there is a generation of people eagerly awaiting something bigger. A generation of people eagerly awaiting something bigger. There's got to be more of this. There's got to be more than COVID-19, than war in the the East, than than flooding, than the next thing or the next thing or the next thing. There's got to be something bigger than this. They're eagerly awaiting 
Jess works with some people who are searching in every nook and cranny for something bigger. They are eagerly awaiting. And what they're awaiting for is the bondage of the freedom from bondage and corruption that we carry inside us. Paul is asking us to be something bigger. He's asking the Romans to carry something bigger. You know, if you look at the moment, how many people are helping in the floods? There are a lot of good people helping in the floods. We got to experience firsthand, we met many people who were very good people. And I started realizing I'm nothing special. I'm helping just like everybody else is. Till I was praying in tongues and I felt God say, you are because you're a child of mine. You carry something they don't. So even though we can all be good people, we can all help, and that's happening around the world, we carry something bigger, something deeper. And those around us are eagerly awaiting for what we have inside of us. See, when we change our mindset and we shift to understand who we are, that I am a child of God, of the Most High, I'm an image bearer, bearer. I'm, I'm carrying something bigger than the world can understand. When I start to realize that, every moment of my life becomes important. Every step that I take, every gas station that I go to, every restaurant that I eat at, every conversation I have on the street becomes important because I know who I am and I know what I carry inside me. Creation is eagerly awaiting what we carry inside of us. Paul continues on in verse 22. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All of creation is groaning. We are in right now the last days. We have been in the last days since Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended. We are in the last days. What point of the last days are we in? I'm not sure. Is it coming tomorrow or in another thousand years? I don't know and I don't think we get to know. But what I do know is this. The clock is ticking and it's been ticking since, since Jesus died and rose again. That in us there has to be this urgency to not just float down the river and one day come into heaven. That was never ever understood by the ancient Jews. They never ever thought that way. They thought about the kingdom of God like this. Repent for it is at hand. Repent for we can live from this position. We can live from this place. Repent because there is so much more that you can see and understand. There is so much more that we can be and do. That when God revealed his heart to mankind, he said, come in me and I will flow through you. We ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to read quickly John 16. Jesus, he says to the disciples, verse 7, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. Now, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus said, it's better that I'm not with you so that the helper can come. I can't remember where I heard it, but I, I heard a, a preacher speaking about the fact that he was having a wrestle with God about how much easier it would have been for the likes of Moses and Noah because they heard directly from him. And he was saying to God, it's so much harder for us because you know, we, we have to navigate you know, the internet and all these different things and, and all they had to work out was just hear your voice and do what you said. And then he said he, he had a dream one night and in his dream he, he saw who he believed to be Moses and Noah speaking with God about how amazing it was and how much easier it is for us that God gave us the Holy Spirit. And he said he woke up and he was absolutely riddled and challenged to his core because he was saying those in the Old Testament operated with God around side them, but those in the New Testament and us operate with God inside us. That God actually said, my people, I choose you to be the indwelling of me, Yahweh. There's a book I love, if you can get it, your hands on it, it's worth reading, it's Ah, but it's a book by A.W. Tozer and it's called Man, the Dwelling Place of God. And he writes about the importance that God chose us, his people, to dwell inside of, to be the temple courts, that in us is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God himself, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens, heavens and the earth. Dave spoke so brilliantly last week about operating from the spirit. The way we do that is the spirit is in us. Jesus, it's better that I go so that he will come and be in you. There's times we say, God, I don't know what to do. Then just let him flow through you. God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do all these things. And Jesus says, yeah, because you're trying to do it in your own strength. Lay it down and I'll move through you. Put yourself aside and I'll come and move through you. Jesus calls us to be co-heirs, fellow workers, because we carry his presence in us and through us. I love that the only way he can trust us is by putting himself in us. You're going to stuff it up. Let me come with you. I'll take it. I'll take it. There's so many times that I went, I was with Mark and um, Mark, I didn't tell you this story, so you're going to hear it first now, for now. But I, I think we, we have this unrealistic expectation sometimes of the holy man. And I by no means see myself as a holy man. We pulled up at Mark's place and he had some people that were staying underneath his house and he said to me, man, there's going to be some guys here that don't know Jesus. Let's get out. We're going to pray. You lead the way. And in my spirit, instantly, I start packing it. I don't know what to say to these guys. I don't know how. I, I, they just lost their house. I don't know what to say. Obviously, I was like outside. I was like cool, calm and collected. Inside, like a duck, my feet were just pedaling. Lord, I don't know what to say. 
God, I don't know. Now, thankfully, for my sake, not for theirs, they weren't there. So I didn't have to pray. I get to leave that. I get to leave that with Mark. So I said to him at the end, hey, you pray for them when they come, bro. Remember. Why? Because I was trying to understand how to do it in my own strength. But the moment we get to that position and God says, speak, you op- I open my, out my mouth and I just pray, Lord, please, please don't let me speak. Don't let my words be heard because they're no good. Speak through me. There's been so many situations in my life where I've sat before somebody and, and just like the duck picture, my feet are pedaling and I'm saying, God, please don't let me speak. It'll be no good. Please touch their heart. Say the things you want to say because I know that if you do that, their life will change. But if I do it, it's going to get worse. See, when we learn as a people how to operate from the gifts of God, how to actually hear his heart like Dave preached last week, how to live in the spirit and let the spirit flow through us as temples of the Holy Spirit. And we say, God, you move. God, you have your way. God, your will, not mine. God, your kingdom. All of a sudden, things start to change in people's lives. They start to see something different. It's not just a good person that stands before them. It's God who stands before them. See, we can see good people all over the place. We can see people who are willing to help, but we don't see many people with the answers. But the moment God starts to move through our life and reveal himself, people start to go, he wasn't just a good person. He was a person who saw something no one else saw. He was a person who revealed the heart of the Father like no one else saw. I've told this story so many times. It's, it's probably one of my, my favorite stories to share, but a good friend of ours, Mike Elshingham, who passed away, he told this story about how he was in a, a wool shop in, in Dubai in the UAE, and he was shopping with his wife to get some supplies for, for her, and the man behind the counter with tears in his eyes, he said, I see Jesus in your eyes. He was a Muslim man. I see Jesus in your eyes. And right there, the man got saved. His life got changed. Mike didn't say anything special, but he carried the aroma of Christ. He carried, as the temple of God, he carried the Holy Spirit. He carried Yahweh in such a way, the man said, there's something different. You're not just a nice person. You're not just a good husband. You're not just a good employee. He was all those things but he carried Jesus in his heart. When we learn as a people to operate in the fullness of God, like Paul is saying that he he is in us and he flows through us as the temple realm. He comes in and through people's lives. They're not seeing Ben. Sometimes they do. More times than I would like, they do. But God is calling us co-heirs to do it with us. So how do we do it? How do we stay in that place? Paul continues on, verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. The Spirit helps in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to to the will of God. Can I tell you the last sort of two, three months, I have felt, God, I don't want to pray because I don't know what to pray for. You know, when you go to a restaurant and you sit down and there's like too many things on the menu, they've got like Italian and then steak and then soups. And you're like, oh man, I don't, I don't know. Should we eat here? 
I'll just get whatever Jess is getting and hope it's good, right? Because there's so many options. There's so much choice. And in a way, in my prayer life, I've said to God, Lord, there is so much happening. There are so many things to, to pray for. There are so many things that need to be changed. There are so many things that need your, your uh, where do I start? Do I start in, in the war? Do I start with COVID? Do I start with the flood? Do I start with my neighbor who doesn't know you? Do I start with my family? Where do I start? So in the end, I just said, Lord, I'm just going to pray in tongues. I'm just going to pray in tongues. Because then you'll know my spirit connecting with yours will know what to do. And I've always had this question, well, what does that mean? What if I don't pray in tongues? The only advice I can give you is what Paul gave you. Earnestly desire the gift. Earnestly desire it. In your prayer time, if you don't pray in tongues, close the door, make that prayer, uno, umero, Lord, please. Please. When you drive to work, Lord, please. When you're in the shower, Lord, please. Right, when we, that says earnestly desire. I had a friend say to me once, I've, I've prayed, God didn't give me the gifts of tongues. So you prayed once? That doesn't sound earnest to me. Now, I'm not trying to hack him down. I'm just saying the Bible says earnestly. I had to earnestly chase Jess down. My shoes wore out. No, that's not entirely true. No, I was, just, I was just a goose. I didn't know what was going on. But in the pursuit for something we want, for that job, in the pursuit for that car, in the pursuit for a partner, in the pursuit for, for that business deal, we'll sit up all night, we'll read and reread, we'll learn and relearn, we'll watch YouTube video after YouTube video. If we're trying to learn an instrument or how to play golf, we'll go to the driving range for hours upon hours. We'll play game after game. We will earnestly desire to increase our skills. And when it comes to something of the spirit realm, Lord, if it's your will, give me the tongues. That's all I'm saying. But he says earnestly, earnestly, earnestly desire the gifts. Why? Because when it comes to our praying, when it comes to the groanings of the things in our spirit, it's too deep for words, Paul says. There's things that go over the top of our fleshly understanding and need a deeper grounding in the things of the spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've been praying in tongues and, and praying in the spirit and God has dropped something in my heart that's been the answer to the question of a thing I didn't know I was praying for. Oftentimes I'll pray in tongues with a pad and pen or my phone ready at the notes, ready just in case. Is KK upstairs? Fantastic, I can tell the story. I lost my headphones, my Apple earbuds, and my Apple earbuds are incredibly important to my life because I use them all the time because I'm on the phone so much. But I lost them and I was resigned to the fact that I was going to have to go and buy a new pair. Kayla popped into the room. She said, Ben, have you prayed about them? And I was like, no, Kayla, I've not prayed about my headphones. I don't, God's just, you know, I don't think he cares. I'm just going to go get new headphones. She goes, I'll pray. And I heard her walking off, started to pray. I'm fairly certain she was praying in the spirit. She was walking off, probably 30 seconds. She didn't even get to the bottom of the stairs. She came running back up the stairs, sprinting back up the stairs, walked into the middle room, walked into the couch, put her hand in the couch and pulled out my headphones. Walked in, and I'm not kidding you, it was probably from the space she said, have you prayed, to the headphones being back on my desk, was probably 30 seconds. She just sits them like this, found them, 
Now, I've looked everywhere. A boy look, granted, but everywhere, right? My car, my house. I thought pretty thorough look. Wasn't a mum look by any stretch, but it was a good look. But Kayla walked back in. She didn't look. She put her hand on the couch. She pulled them out. And I asked her, what did you do? She just prayed. I was like, ah, silly, I should have thought of that. Because her heart understands the things of the Spirit. She didn't have to ask any fancy words. She didn't have to come up with some fancy things. She just started to pray and trust that God would reveal the things that have been lost and hidden. And what happens is that what Paul says is when he continues on, when we set our heart in the things of the Spirit, in verse 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And to those whom he justified, he also glorified. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. To be called according to his purpose is to operate in the things of the kingdom realm. What tends to happen when the things don't work together for good is that we've decided to go our own way. We've stepped outside of the realm of the kingdom. We've stepped into our own strength. And thing after thing after thing after thing keeps falling apart. We go, God, nothing is turning together for good. Yes, because you stopped listening to me. Yes, because you removed yourself from my kingdom realm. Yes, because you took yourself outside of the spiritual laws and principles that I've put in place that protect you and lead you into good, into all things. When, if something is wrong in your life right now, if something is feeling absolutely unanswerable, Pray. If you pray in tongues, I suggest you pray in tongues. And believe God, I want to come back into your kingdom realm with this. I want to come back where all things lead to good. I want to come back where your hand never leaves, never forsakes. I want to come back, Lord, into the place where I can step and your light will guide. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Let me quickly, quickly explain predestination in a very simple way that I stole from David Pawson because he's a genius. Predestination is this. A lot of people argue, is predestination, I'm in or I'm out and I've always been in or I've always been out. I don't believe it to see like that. The way that David Pawson, a great teacher who's since passed away, just amazingly explained it is like this. A father who owns a farm, right? especially Australian farms or South African farms, if you will, because it's the same, often farmers will hand their farms down. Right? It's a generation of farmers, generations after generations. They have sons or, some, in some cases, daughters, and they will raise their sons to take over their farms. And what happens is, is that the, the, the father will go and he'll start to work the land in a way that he will train the son. But at the time when the son comes of age, he gets to make a decision. I either take the land that my father would give me or I go into town and I, be, and I go to uni. Right? The father never enforces the preparation of the land onto the son, but he predestines it, he plans it, he puts it together. So what took place for us is that every one of us, saved or unsaved, in the very beginning of our conception, the very beginning of God making us in our mother's womb, predestined a path for us to walk. But because of the beautiful glory and grace of God, he allowed us the choice to walk his path or our own. 
Every one of us predestined, every one of us called, but not every one of us will choose that path. My dad used to explain it like this, and I, I just love the picture that he paints, that as walking into heaven, there's a sign that says, all are welcome. But then when you walk through and look back at the sign, it says, but I, know, I knew you'd come. There's an understanding that we have to get to that every person out there has been called and destined by God. The problem is that there's a veil that's covering their eyes and they're groaning because it's in them to know what the purpose is. That's where we come in, the hands and feet of Christ to remove the veil, to reveal the absolute plan and purpose they had from the beginning. Does that make sense? See, when we say that predestination is either we're in or we're out, why work? If that's the case, I'm going to go buy a big ranch and not talk to anybody and just you know, shoot guns and drive motorbikes. But that's not the plan. God is asking you, Ben, would you help me? Ben, would you work with me? Would you reveal my heart to those who are crying out, who are groaning? Why? So that they will be conformed back to the image that I built them with in the garden. See, when Jesus, sorry, when God bent down into the clay and he picked up the clay, that was his holy ground that he made us from. Every single man or woman is made from the holy ground of the garden of God. But what happened in the fall of Adam is that we followed the seed, the broken line of the first Adam. And Jesus said, I'll come and I will wind that brokenness all the way back to the very beginning and I'll give you a rebirth. I will redesign you in the ways and the things of me. But what I want you to do is to carry my image. That's why the foundations of this house, our slogan, if you will, but it's not a slogan, it's just what we want to try and live out, is that we're image bearers of Jesus because that's what we were called to do in the garden and that's what we're called to do today, to carry the image of Jesus, to become brothers with Christ. Justified, sanctified and glorified. How much time do I have? Seven minutes. Can I have seven more minutes? Dave said yes. No one else did, but Dave did, so I can go. Justified. We're proven to be just, right, or valid. Sanctified. To be made holy and glorified. To have great honor, praise, or distinction. In our spirit man, right, spirit, soul, body, our spirit man has been justified. That's why we're able to be in Christ, because we're justified. Without sin. Our flesh, our soul, our mind, will and emotions is still being sanctified. We're still outworking the salvation of our soul as we become more and more sanctified. And then our body will be glorified. We will be given a new body. That's why the Bible is able to say we are saved, we're being saved and we will be saved. We are saved because our spirit man has been made whole. We're being saved because our, our, our soul, our mind, will and emotions is, is being transformed, right? And then we, we will be saved, which is the, the, the um, regeneration of our body or the, or the re-giving of our body. And what Paul is saying is this, is that he has chosen us, he's called us as his people, and that we will be justified and then we will be glorified. God is leading his plan and purpose. He is calling us into what he had always designed us to be, image bearers, carriers of the image of Yahweh. And I find it so interesting, and I'm going to finish with this, that Paul designs this all for us to understand because in order to live out Romans 8, 31 to 39, that we read all the time, we have to understand who we were first called to be. 
when we learn that we are image bearers of Christ, when we learn that we are the carriers of the image of Yahweh, then we can understand 31 to 39. When we know that the Spirit is in us, God, Yahweh, Holy Spirit dwells in us and through us, then we can understand how to live from 31 to 39. Why? Because 31, 39 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We've got that on our fridges, tattooed on us, on our bumper stickers. We love that verse. God is for us, who can be against us? But Paul prerequisites that verse with the stuff that's before. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know that you're a son and daughter of the Most High. You've got to know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You've got to know to stand in the kingdom realm because that's where the position of God stands for us and nothing else can stand against us. We are Christians standing outside of the kingdom realm, getting battered and bruised, screaming that verse out. And Paul is saying, read the earlier part. Come back into the place God's called you to be. Come back before him. Come back into prayer and worship. Come back into gathering with the saints. Come back into understanding and reading my word. Come back to giving your life to me in that place. When you bring yourself before him in that place, God is saying, nothing can come against you. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him graciously, give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is not is it, uh, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is, is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or COVID-19 or floods or war in the east or your job being lost or dot, dot, dot? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, depth nor angels or anything else in all creation, who will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He has positioned us. He's called us. He's laid down his life for us. He's asked us to stand as his great image bearers. He's asked us to operate from his kingdom realm. He's asked us to allow the spirit to flow in us and through us, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we go out there, we're not just good people. We are to be good husbands, good wives, good employees, good dads, good mums. That's a given. We're called to carry the image to further the kingdom, to push back the gates of hell, to love God with all our heart, to love our neighbor, to advance the kingdom, to make disciples. He's calling us to be a part of his perfect plan. Does that make sense? So why don't you stand, let's just pray. The word that Maddie brought this morning is that God is realigning us. Maddie, what was the actual word? Divine positioning. That He is positioning us. Every one of you here this morning, every one of you is important in the kingdom. Every one of you has a part to play. Every one of you. 
is called by God, has been laid out a life by God. We all have something to give and something to bring. So Father, this morning, Lord, I ask that this moment right here would not just be an emotional one, but there be a quickening and a deepening in our spirit that we would begin to understand and to fathom the things that you've laid before us. God, I pray that what the words you've given to the Apostle Paul to speak to the Romans would, would lock in our spirit like never before. God, I pray that as we begin to read it again and again and again and again, Lord, that things would come to light that we've never quite seen before. Father, I pray that as we go out into our spheres and influences, Father, as we go out into our circles, God, that we would see your kingdom come, that we would see your will be done. Lord, help us to see where we're living out of our own will and not out of yours and let us lay it down. God, give us the courage to change. God, give us the courage to be ready to step into the divine position that you're giving us. Lord, sometimes our hearts are willing, but we don't know what to lay down. Help us. God, sometimes our hearts are willing, but we can't quite see what's leading us away from you. Would you help us? And Father, I pray this morning, if there's anything that I've said that's not of you, would it fall away? But the things that you have spoken this morning, would you set it deep in your hearts? God, I pray that this wouldn't just be another sermon, but that it would be an equipping time for us to change the way we operate. Jesus, we love you. God, we honor you. And Father, just right now, we do just pray for the things that are taking place in the northern rivers, Father, in the, in the north of Brisbane, in any other of the flood-affected areas, Father, we pray for the Ukraine. Lord, we pray for Russia and for the Russians, Lord. And God, without the right words, we just pray that your kingdom would come. God, we pray that your will would be done. Father, we don't have the answers. We don't know the solutions. God, we know that yelling at governments and, and yelling at other people is not helping. So God, we come to you. We come to you with a humble heart and say, Lord, would you help us? Would you reveal your kingdom? Lord, would people find you in the devastation would people find you in the terror? Would people find you in the quiet place? God, we love you. We honor you. And we are so grateful that we can stand in a place so free. We declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city. And Lord, we declare your kingship in this nation. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We believe you, O oh God. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.